0: bring you greetings from Stalen Park Baptist Church. It's, I've been wanting to come out and worship with you guys since uh, you were planted. So it's, it's a real honor to be able to come and open up God's word with you this morning. Me and my wife Heidi are really pleased to be with you and see old friends and, and meet new friends. So um, thank you for having us. It's a real honor to open up God's word with you. Uh, please turn to Psalm 62, which will be our passage this morning. For God alone My soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Well, on October 31st last year, I received one of those phone calls that I'd always dreaded. My wife, Heidi, had been in a car crash now thankfully she was fine however she was also pregnant two weeks away from our baby's due date so on the midwife's instructions we headed into the hospital and the next 15 hours or so can probably best be summed up with the word waiting so we had to wait for the midwife to see us we had to wait for test results after test results we had to wait for the medication To kick in, we had to wait to see if Heidi's contractions would keep getting worse or whether they would ease up. And we had to wait to see when Heidi could finally eat something. We had to wait until we could sleep. And ultimately, we had to wait to see if our baby was okay or not, which thankfully she was and she's at the back now. But as we sat waiting in the hospital room, physically shaking, I I grabbed hold of my Bible. And by God's providential grace, I'd actually spent the previous week meditating on Psalm 62 in the mornings. And so as I sat in this hospital room, I turned to Psalm 62 again, and I read these words. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Now, I can't tell you how much I needed to hear those words that day. And maybe you need to hear those words this morning. Maybe you arrive at church this morning greatly shaken. Maybe you're in the midst of a really terrible season. Maybe you've recently received some bad news and your whole world seems to have crumbled beneath you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're anxious about the uncertainty of what lies ahead. Well, Psalm 62 is a song written just for you. And the writer of this psalm, David, is someone that we would do well to listen to. So this morning, I'd like us to consider three things that David teaches us in Psalm 62. The first thing is this, we can be shaken. We can be shaken. Now, one of the great things about the Bible is that it's realistic about life in a fallen world. So God knows that there are things in this world that have the power to shake us to our very core. And David was a man who knew what it was like to be shaken. So just look again at verses three and four. David says, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. David was a man who had problems. In verse 3, we see that he was being attacked by many enemies. And in verse 4, we see that they are wickedly trying to take him down by any means necessary. And so David cries out, how long? You see, he wasn't just having a bad day. This is days, weeks, maybe even months and years of hardship. And it doesn't seem to be any end in sight. And so as a result, in verse 3, he describes himself as being like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. When I was growing up in England, we uh, we had a backyard that was surrounded by a wooden fence, and and because houses are often so close together in England, uh, we would sh- we shared our wooden fence with our neighbours. However, I didn't see it as a wooden fence. I saw it as a soccer goal. So every day after school, I would get home and I would just batter this wooden fence with shot after shot after shot. And as time went by, the fence began looking a little shaky, to say the least. So uh, some panels of wood were cracked, some were completely snapped in half. And eventually the fence, uh, which was originally like this, was leaning at an angle and would sway in the wind, in the wind, and, and looking back, our neighbours must have been quite frustrated. But anyway, we we ended up with this tottering fence that had been battered by wave after wave of attack, ready to collapse. And that's what David felt like in our passage. And I wonder if that's how you feel this morning, like a tottering fence battered by wave after wave of hardship. Financial pressure, demands at work, conflict in marriage, illness in the family, ongoing loneliness, another wave of depression, children acting up, tension in relationships, stress at school, the difficulties of being a new church plant, and those things stack up, don't they? They leave us feeling shaken, unstable. I wonder if you've ever tried to uh, build a tower using Duplo blocks. Do you call them Duplo blocks over here? You know, of, I mean, of course you've, you've tried to build a tower using it. Everybody has. And it's really easy, isn't it? So you just stack them up one by one, and you can build a pretty impressive tower. Have you ever tried to build one in the presence of a child? It's impossible. Because there seems to be something just built into a child that when they see you stacking Duplo blocks, they have to come over. I mean, like, nothing in the world matters to them anymore. Like, they'll explode if they don't. And and when you stack Duplo blocks, well, the more you stack, the more unstable it becomes. And... And, well, it doesn't take much, does it? Just the slightest touch. And actually, life feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Things keep stacking up, and we feel like a tottering fence. And we feel like one more thing will be enough to send us crashing down. So, how does Psalm 62 speak to you if you feel like a tottering fence? Where can your soul go for stability, for rest, for refuge? Well, that brings us to our second point this morning God cannot be shaken. God cannot be shaken. So, David begins Psalm 62 in verse 1 by telling us that his soul waits in silence for God. What does that even mean? Like, what does it mean to wait in silence? Well, I think there are a few different places we could go, but Psalm 37 gives us a clue. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn back there or you can just listen to me read it. But Psalm 37, verse seven, we read this, be still before the Lord and wait patiently. For him. So, same idea. But then it says this Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So, here we see that the opposite of waiting silently is to fret, it's to fill your soul with angst and worry. Now, how how might that look? Well, do you tend to grumble? or wallow in self-pity when life takes a bad turn? Do you get angry with people, with circumstances, with God, when hardship strikes? Are you often overcome with discontentment when things don't get better, maybe even becoming jealous and bitter of others? Or does the unrest of your soul lead to just this type of crippling anxiety where actually God is just not even in the picture anymore. He's long been forgotten about. Well, to wait in silence is the opposite of that. It involves our souls having a posture of patience. It means resting in God, knowing that behind the chaos, he is in control. I like how one commentator describes it. To wait in silence means unmurmuring submission to the divine will. You know, if we're honest, I think we all struggle to wait on the Lord without fretting, don't we? Let's just be honest about that. Chaos rather than silence is our soul's natural response to hardship. Yet in the midst of his troubles, David's soul is silently waiting for God. But what is it about God that drives David to exhibit this amount of calm trust? Well, look at what David tells us in verses one and two. In verse one, David recognizes that God is the one who provides the salvation that he needs. In fact, God not only provides salvation, but verse two, God is David's salvation. So God is the very thing that David needs in his hardship. And did you notice the terms that David uses to describe God? He is my rock and my fortress. These are pictures of stability. The term fortress has a sense of a refuge located high up where enemies can't reach. David is saying that God is this immovable unshakable, safe refuge that he can hide in. And that's actually what you and I need when we feel like a tottering fence. We need a refuge like God. But notice the personableness in these verses. Note look again, he is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. Now here's why this is really important, okay? Because When you find yourself shaken, it won't make much difference to you if God is just some distant, stoic, theological concept or idea. It won't even make much difference if God is someone else's rock, someone else's fortress. It won't make much difference if God is your parents' rock or fortress or if God is your friends' rock or fortress. It won't make any difference if if God is someone else's refuge. You and I need to know that this unshakable God is our unshakable God. You need to be able to say in your heart, he is my rock. He is my fortress. And it's because David believes this about God that he's able to say in verse 2, I shall not be greatly shaken. You see, it's the truth about God, not his circumstances, that David seeks rest in. But is this the end of the story? Well, no, it's not. Because it's after that statement in verse 2 that David suddenly feels like a tottering fence in verse 3. What's happened? Well, I'll tell you what's happened. Real, real life happened. You know, we've all been there, haven't we? So... We leave church feeling tanked up on the glorious truths of the gospel. We come back from that youth retreat, feeling spiritually on fire. We get up from our morning quiet time, feeling at peace and comforted. If God is for me, who can be against me? But then life happens. The kids wake up. You see that person again. There's an unexpected bill. Someone else gets sick. Miscommunication leads to more conflict. Change is just so slow. Life just doesn't really get better. And so we start losing sight of who God is. And it's not that God moves, but we do. And so we find ourselves starting to wobble. So what do you do then? I mean, do you just throw your hands up in the air and, and say, well, so much for God being my rock. They didn't really work, did it? That was a waste of a quiet time. Well, look what David does in verses five to seven. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. Just notice what David is doing here. He is preaching the truth to himself. He's reminding himself of what he already knows to be true. He's commanding his own soul to wait in silence rather than fret and freak out. Actually, what David is doing here is he's singing Psalm 62 to himself. You see, the Psalms were given to us not simply to preach. But to sing, and here's why, because when faced with adversity, you and I will inevitably sing a song to ourselves. The question is what song will we sing? Uh, I wonder if anybody here has ever heard of a song by uh, David Getter called titanium blank blank looks um now. I actually love this song, even though I'm about to critique it. So let me just read you some lyrics. You shout it out, but I can't hear a word you say. I'm talking loud, not saying much. I'm criticized, but all your bullets ricochet. You shoot me down, but I get up. I'm bulletproof, nothing to lose. Fire away, fire away. Ricochet, you take your aim. Fire away, fire away. You shoot me down, but I won't fall. I am titanium. You shoot me down, but I won't fall. I am titanium. What song does David Guetta sing when he feels like a tottering fence? I am titanium. I'm bulletproof. I'm a rock, I'm a fortress, I am my own salvation, I will not be shaken. Well, friends, that's the song of the world, and it actually doesn't work. Listen to the song that another David sings. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Notice here how David focuses on God, not his troubles. He fills his soul with who God is, not with all the things that are trying to shake him. I wonder when you find yourself shaken by the troubles of life, what do you fill your mind with? Do you allow your soul to be flooded by your troubles? How much time do you devote to filling your thoughts with great truths about God? But notice the progression that we see in these verses. So look again at verse 2. David says, I will not be greatly shaken. But now in verse 6, he says, I will not be shaken. I won't be moved at all. In other words, it's by singing Psalm 62 to ourselves that we grow increasingly immovable. It's by putting Psalm 62 on repeat and singing it to ourselves over and over, day after day, week after week, month after month, that we become unshakable. So when your marriage keeps falling apart, when your child keeps wandering from the faith, when your loneliness is driving you to despair when you're awaiting those results from the doctor, when you're tempted to find stability in anyone or anything else. Brothers and sisters, sing to yourselves, preach to yourselves. Wait, soul. Wait for God. My hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation and my rest and my fortress. Don't give up, soul. Don't seek rest in something else. Don't seek don't seek stability in someone else. Oh my soul, for God alone, wait in silence. I wonder when the last time was that you sang a song like that to yourself when you found yourself shaken. Before we move on, I think it's worth stating that Psalm 62 is not a quick fix. So Psalm 62 is not this magical song that if you just sing a few times this week, your wish for some stability will come true. But actually, Psalm 62 is given to us in the context of waiting on the Lord. Therefore, becoming unshakable takes time. Now, we hate waiting, don't we? Maybe more than any other people in history, we hate waiting. I, I remember when we, we lived in England, I had Amazon Prime. And uh, because England is so small, Amazon Prime gives you next day delivery in the UK. It's glorious. However, when we moved to Virginia, I noticed that Amazon Prime over here only gives you two day delivery. I just couldn't believe it. Now I had to wait a whole extra day for that book that I'm not gonna read for another two years. It's, it's so annoying. Now, we hate waiting, whether that's waiting for our grades or our wedding day or the doctor's results. So why does God want us to wait for him? I mean, why does he want us to do the very thing that we want to do the least? What's actually accomplished? Well, here's why I think God calls us to wait. Because it's waiting, it's in waiting silently for God that we are forced into communion with God. So it's in calling us to wait that God is inviting us to seek him in the waiting, to wrestle with who he is, to force ourselves to meditate on his character, to stretch the muscles of our faith, You know, I'm sure many of you can testify that you've you've learnt more about God in seasons of waiting than you ever did when life was easy. Because it's only when we have to cling onto God, day after day after day, that we truly learn that He really is our rock, that He really is our refuge. It's hard to learn that in a week. It's hard to learn that in a month or a year. But when we fail to wait on the Lord, we we actually show that we're not interested in knowing God. We just want him to fix stuff. To just get us out of trouble. But God wants wants us to know him personally and to trust him at all times. That's why in verse 8, David invites us to join him in singing Psalm 62 to trust God at all times, especially during those seasons of waiting. And here's how you know if you're trusting God. Look at verse eight again. You are pouring out your heart before him. That's when you know God is your refuge. When you feel like a tottering fence and you run to God and pour out your heart before him, day after day, So if you've stopped praying, then you've stopped singing Psalm 62. You've probably started singing titanium. You think you can do it on your own without God. Or maybe you've started singing a bleaker song without any hope. Friends, pour out your heart to God during those seasons of waiting. And don't stop. So we've seen that we can be shaken. We've seen that God cannot be shaken. But Psalm 62 has something else to teach us. And it's this. Only God cannot be shaken. Only God cannot be shaken. Now, I hope you notice this as we've been reading. I've purposely not given it any attention until now, but just notice how many times the word only or alone pops up. It's actually the same word in the Hebrew. Verse 1, for God alone, my soul waits. Verse 2, he alone is my rock. Verse 5, for God alone, O my soul. Verse 6, He only is my rock. It actually comes up more, but we just don't translate it. Now why does David, keep repeating this word. Here's why. David does not assume that he will live as though God is his only rock. So he was aware of his tendency to go to other things to find stability in shaky times. So it's not that David doubted that God was a rock or a fortress. It was that he was prone to believe that there are other rocks, other things to cling to when he was shaken. So in that sense, David was just like us. Maybe you have absolutely no problem with the first two points of this sermon. You know that you can be shaken by hardship. I mean, you know that all too well. And you know that God is a rock, a refuge during hard times. However, just practically speaking, you find yourself seeking rest in other refuges when life is hard. But David wants to show us that God is our only refuge. He's the only rock that cannot be shaken. And so David provides us with two examples of where we're prone to look for stability. The first place we might look is people. So look at verse 9. Those of low estate. Are but a breath. Those of higher state are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Now, in identifying those of low estate and those of higher states, David is basically saying, all people. So both those people at the top and those at the bottom and everyone in between. And what does he say about all people? They are. A breath. They might look like they can provide stability for you, but they're a delusion. In verse nine, David says, If you were to weigh all people on some scales, they'd be lighter than a breath. How much does your breath weigh? Probably heavier in the morning, but still light nonetheless. Well, contrast this description of people. With David's description of God. People are a breath. God is a rock. A mighty rock. The only mighty rock. You know, it's just so easy for us to run to people rather than God, isn't it? To think that a spouse or a loved one can be our rock. To think that our pastors can give us hope. To think that a doctor can provide salvation, to believe that a parent can be a sufficient refuge. Maybe it's the person that you've been longing for, a spouse, a friend, children, which you don't currently have, but you desperately want, and you believe that they could be your rock. They could be your refuge if if you only had them. You know, you're a new church plant, and I'm sure this will be a temptation for you as time goes on. To put your hopes in new people joining and the church growing. To think that what you need most is not more God, but more people. Be careful, David says. Don't cling to people. They are lighter than a breath. Or maybe your problem is not that you look to other people. Maybe it's that you want others to look to you. Maybe it's that you want the people in your life to look to you when they are shaken. Because sometimes the people in our lives that we love are like a tottering fence. And in those moments, we want to be their rock. We want to be their fortress. We want to be their refuge. We want to save them. I wonder if that's you this morning. Maybe you have a friend who's suffering a depressed spouse, a sick family member, an anxious child, a straying church member. And you think, well, the Lord doesn't seem to be doing anything, does he? Maybe maybe I can be their refuge. If God's not going to be there for them, then I guess it's up to me. Be careful, David says, you are lighter than a breath. Listen to me on this church. The people in your life do not need you to be their rock. They need you to point them to the only rock. The people in your life don't need you to be their refuge. They need you to point them to the only refuge. The people in your life who are shaken don't need you to be their salvation. They need you to point them to the only savior and that is God and him alone. So that's people. The second place we might look is money. So David knew that many of life's problems can be solved with a few more Benjamin Franklins. In fact, the, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we read that we live in a world where money answers everything. You know, I wonder how many of us, if we're honest, are waiting more on money than the Lord this morning. Maybe you've lost your job. Or well, you've received their latest batch of medical bills. Maybe the car's playing up again. Or well, you're swimming in college debt. Or well, the arrival of a new baby means you need to find $10,000 a month for diapers. You know, Northern Virginia is expensive, isn't it? For many of us, our biggest anxiety is related to money. We either don't have what we need, and so we're shaken, Or we're just worried that we won't have what we need in the future. And so we're just shaken by the uncertainty. But David warns us in verse 10, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Don't trust in money, he says. Because people do, don't they? I mean, we do, if we're honest. Sometimes we're even willing to gain it illegally, as David points out. That's how much we want it. But even if we acquire it honestly, David still warns us, if riches increase, don't set your heart on them. Why? Well, because money can disappear when we need it most. Because money isn't a sufficient refuge in all of life's problems. We need a mightier rock, a sturdier fortress. And so David reminds us, Why God is our only refuge in verses 11 and 12. Let's read it one more time. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love for you will render to a man according to his work. To God belongs both power and steadfast love. So why does God be in both powerful and loving make all the difference to David. Well, if God had power but lack love, then David couldn't actually trust God to be there for him when he needed him. But if God had love, but he didn't have the power to do anything, then what's the use in that? David may as well seek refuge in people or money. But David is confident That God is both able and willing to be his refuge. He has the power to be his rock and fortress and the love to be his rest and salvation. That's why the last sentence in this psalm gives David comfort. God will render to a man according to his work. Remember verses 3 and 4. God is a God of justice, so he will judge David's enemies. Those who are trying to topple David will be the ones who end up being shaken. So David can look at his enemies and know that they are a fleeting breath, a sigh to breathe to measure, and they will one day stand before David's God. And then they will be the tottering fence. For David, verses 11 and 12 made all the difference. Because unless God has both the power and the steadfast love, then singing Psalm 62 is about as useful as singing titanium. But maybe that's your question this morning. How do I know that God has both the power and the love to help me when I find myself shaken? Like, how do I know that? I mean, if you're just coming off the the back of a really difficult season or if you're in the midst of a difficult season, it might not feel that way at all your experience might be screaming at you right now god's not powerful Whatever if he is he certainly doesn't love you if he did why would he let this thing happen to you why hasn't he done anything i mean you've waited long enough haven't you so maybe you're here this morning and you're like god how do i know how do i know you have the power how do i know you have the love Because we'll only sing Psalm 62, we'll only persevere in singing this thing if we're certain that God is both able and willing to help us. So how do we know? Well, we know because David wasn't the only singer of Psalm 62. In fact, although David wrote this song, it was actually written to be sung by someone greater. You see, someone came after David who was also attacked by many enemies. Like David, his enemies sought to thrust him down from his high position. Every deceit was used, every slander was spread, every device was framed. Yet unlike David, this person was not shaken by his enemies. Instead, his soul perfectly waited in silence for God. Even as they nailed him to a wooden cross, God alone was his rock, his refuge, his rest, his salvation. And God proved his faithfulness by raising him from the dead and seating him in glory. You see, the true singer of Psalm 62 is the true singer of all the Psalms, and that's Jesus Christ. Even so, Jesus was still shaken. He was so shaken that he sweat great drops of blood. Yet he wasn't shaken by the wickedness of man or the reality of death. Rather, Jesus was shaken by the wrath of God. And here's why. Psalm 62 verse 12 says that God will render to a man according to his work. In other words, there is a day coming when when God will judge each person based on the life that they've lived. Now, you know, that might not trouble you too much this morning. Maybe you've judged yourself to have lived a pretty decent life so far. You try to be a good citizen, a hard worker, a faithful friend, a kind person, an obedient child. Now look, it's it's not that you're perfect. I mean nobody is. But just but compared to some people, I mean compared to your boss or that kid in your sports team or the or that terrorist in London this week or even David's enemies. Compared to people like that, that's what you're doing okay. You know, stood next to the criminals and the perverts and the bullies of this world. You you fancy your chances. But unfortunately, the Bible says that that's not actually good enough. Because God is not actually interested in whether you've lived a better life than your neighbor. Because God made you and I to trust in him at all times. Whether those times are good, whether those times are bad. But we've put our trust in other things. Rather than trusting God, we've trusted in people, in money, in jobs, in pleasure, in ourselves. We've run to created things in order to find hope and rest and refuge and salvation for our souls. And the Bible calls this many things. One of the things it calls it is sin. Rebellion against the God who made us. And God will render to everyone according to their rebellion. And so That should shake you this morning. The reality of God's judgment should cause you to totter. Our lives are a fleeting breath, a sigh too brief to measure, and before we know it, death will usher us into the judgment room of God. And so, verse 12, rather than be an encouragement, actually turns out to be a cause for despair. Until Jesus. You see, Jesus experienced God's wrath in our place. God rendered to him the punishment that we deserved. Jesus was shaken so that you and I never have to be. People or money cannot save us from death. Neither can people or money save us from God's judgment. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus has died in our place for our sin. Only Jesus has defeated death by rising from the grave. Therefore, Jesus and he alone is our refuge. So if you're here this morning and you have made Jesus your refuge, well, then you should be encouraged. You are clinging to the solid rock. Your soul is secure in a mighty fortress, so don't let this good news become old news. You know, it's just so easy to focus in on the things that are currently shaking us. Stress at work, health issues, relational conflict, financial trouble, difficulties at church. But forget that God has rescued us from the very thing that would have shaken us the most. God has saved us from our sin. So don't make being delivered from your current trial the good news that you're hoping for. Jesus is the good news and you have him. So stand firm. I'll say that again because I think it's just so important. Don't make being delivered from your current trial the good news that you're hoping for. Don't make being delivered from that the thing that you that you think, if that happened, if that got better, I'd be happy. I would have rest. Actually, Jesus is the good news, and you have him. So stand firm. This also means that God has proven his power and love to you by sending Jesus. So in the midst of your hardship, your soul can find rest in God. So just think about it. The current hardships you're experiencing could be ended by God in an instant. I mean, he has the power, but he's allowed them to continue. Why is that? Well, it's not because he doesn't love you. He gave up his son for you. It's not because he doesn't have the power. He raised the son from the dead. Rather, God must have a bigger loving purpose for your hardship than you can imagine. Even if you can't see it, so wait for him in faith. Don't grumble, don't fret, don't lose hope, but keep pouring out your heart to him. Keep singing Psalm 62 to yourself, even if it means you're singing it for the rest of the year. And God will prove his faithfulness. He always does. He's the only rock. Lastly, if you're not a Christian this morning, then Psalm 62 says that we are a breath. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. So let me ask you, where is your hope for when death comes? Where will you run for refuge? What rock will you cling to the face of death? Because a time is coming when you are going to be greatly shaken. Our lives are but a fleeting breath. We may distract ourselves with business and entertainment. We may ignore it with positive thinking. But death and judgment are coming. Who will you seek refuge in? Friends, run to Jesus now. We are a fleeting breath, but he is the eternal word of God. He is the only rock you can cling to in the face of death. He's the only hope you can bank on. He's the only fortress that you can hide in. The only salvation that there is. So stop trusting in other shakable things. Trust in Jesus. He has both the power and the love to save you. He's able and willing. He has crushed the curse of death and you can be his forever. So trust in him today before it's too late. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and confess that we have failed to wait silently for you when we've been shaken. Lord, but we also confess that you are our rock, our only rock, and that you have the power and the love to be our refuge, to save us. And we know that because of the Lord Jesus who died for our sin. Lord, would you help us in the midst of hard times to cling to you with everything we have to preach and sing Psalm 62 to ourselves over and over and over again. And would you make us stable and secure as we cling to you? We pray all of these things in Jesus' name common.